Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Welcome back to another episode of the Revelation Project Podcast. Today, I've welcomed back special guest Liz McCartney, and I'm so excited for the conversation we're about to have (laughs) because it's around my favorite subject. And those of you who listen to this podcast regularly know that I consider the mess to be my natural habitat. It's the place where I've decided that I can breathe. It's the place where I allow release where everything gets to belong. And it's where I believe we are as a society, as structures start to crumble around us. I believe that the mess becomes a fertile place for us to plant seeds for a new way of being and moving in the world and also allows us to redesign our vision for how we want to be in relationship with other people and also our environment. So I love my guest, Liz. Liz, welcome. I know Liz believes in true connection to ourselves and not only as human beings, but as our divine beings. She's been guided really to create a synergistic approach to healing through our connection to the divine, and she's a spiritual channel. So through her connection to the source of all universal life force energy, she has the ability to really channel information through the higher dimensional beings of light, wisdom, and knowledge. And she's here to really help us to kind of interpret and understand the mess from that realm and that perspective. So I hope you enjoy this episode. You can always find Liz and book your own sessions with her. She's a gifted spiritual channel as well as a master teacher of Reiki, combining meditation and pranic healing in her work with her clients. And she focuses on creating that synergistic connection through you to assist you to embrace your human experience through your divine being and help you really access additional healing so that you can fully be in your human form, but also connected to your divine purpose. Welcome, Liz. Thank you for having me back. I'm so honored to be here today. I love when we were kind of talking about you know, what we wanted to talk about on this episode, that what continually showed up was this idea of the mess. And what I love most about the mess is nobody ever wants to talk about that. (laughs) So so the fact that you want to talk to me about it, I'm like, yes. Um, And well, and I do think that there are those of us kind of in this work of self-actualization, self-growth work that do love this conversation, that actually it's a very fertile place for us to have, you know, deep conversations that actually grow roots and that bloom into and transform into other, other aspects of our healing, I think. Well, you know, if we don't address what we call the mess, 
then we're not actually addressing the integral individual need of healing. And if, if we're uncomfortable about addressing the mess, whether it's a collective energy that we're discussing or whether it's the individual energy we're discussing, what we're really doing is we're pushing away with willful ignorance, our healing. And it is something that is innate within us. We have a choice to make. We can either choose to be willfully ignorant of the root causes of our disruption, of our disparity, and our needs to heal. But in doing so, we not only do great harm within ourselves, we're actually harming the collective energy and creating a mess that actually outwardly becomes more expansive. Yeah, it sure does. And so for our listeners, you know, I just want to kind of define what do I call the mess? What do we call the mess? So if I were to answer what what is the mess, I would say, okay, so I'm somebody who grew up in a house full of secrets. I would call that a mess. Like the mess yes. is the place nobody really wants to talk about the hard things. Nobody wants to take a look at the difficult, challenging topics that come up. They're the things. And again, I always think about women in particular. We Women in particular have a really hard time, I think, talking about the mess because we've been taught that anything that resembles a mess that is close to us, we've been taught to either run or to clean it up fast. And when we can't clean it up, <laughs> when there's when there's not enough brooms and carpets in the world to hide it behind. It tends to be a place of paralysis. It tends to be a place where we really kind of like can lose ourselves and fall into the trance in an even deeper way. It's almost like a, a disassociative place. So when I think about some of the more challenging conversations that I've had to have in my life, there has been had to be this tremendous amount of conscious courage to an intention to stay in my body when it comes to actually having difficult conversations. And so when I, what else I'm, I'm referring to are things like disease. Okay. Like we often don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about messy situations or family dysfunction or mental illness or But then there's a way that when we talk about these things, they actually become really portals into healing. And the reason that I am so fond of the mess is because I so believe, I love that quote by Thich Nhat Hanh, which is, no mud, no lotus. Mm -hmm. I really look at the fact that even though it can be trite to say that it's so true that we often look at mud or dirt or, you know, like these messy places in our lives as places where we can get quote unquote tainted or stuck or, you know, all those expressions, right? Stuck in the mud. But, but there's also this, this beauty that can only grow there. And when I think about the fact that the lotus is the symbol of enlightenment and it only grows in the mud, it's like there is <laughs> no accident that we say that that expression is so true. No mud, no lotus. And so, Liz, we're going to mud wrestle today. I look forward to mud wrestling. <laughs> 
it is it is my divine purpose and calling to wrestle in the muck with others and myself and you know what you said was absolutely true you know growing up in a family where there were many secrets growing up in a family where people were emotionally stunted willfully stunted of connecting with emotional intimacy to their loved ones is imperative to overcome because yeah and i was just gonna say just go right there i i'm so curious with willfully stunted because i think to myself is any like are we really are there some of us that are willfully stunted and what is under that so when I speak of willful ignorance and being willfully stunted, that is a person's conscious choice to ignore their own lack of healing, to ignore the own root cause of that lack of healing. Many families go through this secretive nature with one another where they placate one another, where they say, well, we're not going to go in deep with one another to find out why there is abuse, there is neglect, why there is corrosion within the family unit, we're going to willfully ignore this. And we're going to placate one another with the aesthetics of the family unit. And I think that many people grow up in families and households like that. For instance, in my own family, there were many things that were never addressed because They were too uncomfortable, right? They were not deemed to be something that anyone wanted to embrace in full acknowledgement and consciousness of. And what that did was it perpetuated cycles of addiction, cycles of abuse, generation to generation. Yet on the outside of the family unit, you have this appearance of unity, of love, the appearance of continuity, support, and healing. But within, there's the corrosive nature of the willful ignorance, the act of literally saying, I will not have this conversation about what is happening to you because I will not look within myself to find why that makes me this grossly uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm literally having, um, and I think, I think there are many of us who are maybe listening to this that can relate to that idea of, you know, the, the mess behind the pretty picture. It's like, I, I can literally remember times where, you know, my biological family growing up, it's like, yeah, like many, many families, we had dysfunction and to be able to shove that dysfunction under you know, the proverbial metaphorical rug and then put on a smiling face for the family picture. <laughs> you yes. Know? Yeah. It, it can be such a, a, a mind fuck. <laughs> it, it, no, I was it's trying really, to find another is. word and then no. I'm like, there is no other word. There's there just is no, no other, other word. word. Yeah. And it's, it's completely true. Um, I personally used to refer to it as, you know, clusterfuck within my own family unit. Because I was coming in as a child to generations of addiction, of abuse, and of neglect that not one of them had ever taken the time to look within and say, allow me to heal myself so that I don't perpetuate 
the abuse, the neglect, and the addiction on the next generation. And it's that lack of individual consideration, that lack of individual consciousness that continues to perpetuate these family cycles to the great detriment of each generation thereafter. And then those individuals grow into adults that then contribute those those attributes of abuse, neglect, addiction, coercion, manipulation, and disease into society, into their own family units that they create, into their own friendships, their own professional association. And it's because of this that we have this systemic disease running through society constantly. We have to sit down and have the uncomfortable conversations within ourselves and to one another in order to bring healing about. Had anybody in my family ever had the open, honest conversation about the detriment of alcoholism, about the detriment of physical, of sexual abuse, these generations of this lineage would be freed from that, but they chose not to. And that is the willful ignorance. And that is what creates, for lack of a better word, the mindfuck within the child who on one hand behind closed doors is experiencing all of these corrosive experiences, but then on the outside is forced to maintain this beautiful appearance. And it's very contradictory and it causes deep shame in people. Yeah, I love that you brought up the shame because that's i think one of the one of the biggest forces that keep keeps us from really willfully entering into the mess is the shame i think that we believe is kind of somewhere lurking in the center of that mess that somehow it's going to be the end of us. Like there's actually a sense of personal annihilation (laughs) that we, that we avoid there, that, that, that survival mechanism kicks in and that creates that avoidance, you know, of really kind of wading into that. Now, I also want to point out something that you just laid out so beautifully, which is obviously if you have not had a healthy way of expressing yourself modeled to you within your own family, it's true that you may be unconscious of the fact that there is actually another way to be. There is another way to live. And so everybody has to kind of really be their own barometer of what their own personal experience has been. But if you've grown up in a family or a situation, or you're currently living a life where you know, where you're pretending actually not to know (laughs) that you're unhappy, that you, that something is, is amiss, that you have to put on a show in order to kind of survive and get by in your life. That is what we're pointing to here. That there's a mess living underneath Mm -hmm. the masking that, you know, and there's this idea that if we 
put on this mask and reflect this perfection or this perfectionism out into the world that we're high, that we're somehow like hiding this, you know, this, this big or fooling, fooling others into believing that we've got it handled. But I want to ask you to like, what end? Because at the end of the day, who we're really fooling is ourselves and what we're really hiding essentially, I believe, and I'm going to assert is either a conscious or an unconscious self-loathing. That's exactly it. And what we do is when we put on the mask, who are we putting on the mask for? We're putting on the mask within our family unit for the family, right? To hide the shame of what is actually happening within the family unit. We are coerced into doing so as children. Everybody has this mindset that if you just put one foot in front of the other and just keep plodding through it, that somehow that's the way to heal it. It's not true. And what you end up doing is you end up putting on this facade of happiness, of cheerfulness, of of inclusion, Whereas underneath, the core is completely rotten. We're also putting on that mask for society because people in society, particularly in our society, do not come into depth of embracing one another at all. They want the aesthetic to be pleasing, to be cheerful, to be attractive, to be beautiful. When people ask you how your day is, they just want to hear, it's great. They don't want to hear the truth of how you are actually feeling within. And so while we put the mask on and the facade, what we're doing is we're perpetuating falsehood. We're perpetuating a a falsehood that is so detrimental to ourselves that we start to actually disassociate ourselves from what an actual healed individual is. And then we start to disassociate ourselves from those qualities. I want to also put some more language around what you're talking about, because this is this disassociation that you're talking about. I also call it kind of the fractured self. It's, It's also the, when I think about all of the opportunities I had to abandon my truth along the way in service to the family story or the family unit or the pretty aesthetic or the mask that you're talking about Mm -hmm. at when you do the work of healing, you really are doing the work of, you're really doing the work of being at choice of saying, I'm no longer willing to hide my truth. I'm no longer willing to hide behind the facade because the risk of what is happening to me And the risk that will, the knowledge that I am going to perpetuate this, if I continue, it's like this moment where you suddenly, the revelation, so to speak, is the, is the first revelation is the one where we realize, oh my God, I have a choice. I can continue to keep hiding this Mm -hmm. or 
I can actually say no, no more. I'm not going to hide this anymore. And when we do that, that is the moment I think that we start to really enter the mess. But what I want to say about that moment is that it's also a profoundly liberating moment because when we no longer are When we're saying no, when we're at choice and we're saying, no, I refuse to hide this or comply any longer with this lie, what we're actually doing is we're refusing to hold the world on our shoulders anymore and be responsible anymore for contributing to basically a massive collective of problems. It's like in that moment that we stop abandoning ourselves is the moment I feel like something happens in our alignment with the truth where suddenly everything, even though it gets messy as hell first, who is it that said, uh, (laughs) that said the truth will set you free, but it will first really piss you off. (laughs) Right. You know, that it's so true, but that, you know, it, yes, it has to get so incredibly messy before you start to see some improvement. But by God, there is something that I think happens with almost like universal law, where when we actually start to align with what is true for us. And again, let's, let's dive more deeply into truth, because when I say truth, I don't mean collective truth. I mean, personal truth. Yes. And it has to start within our personal truth, within our individual being. People tend to tend to ignore the individual being and just say, well, I'm going to produce myself into the collective energy, right? Into society, into the family, into all of these outward energies, because they're fearful of facing the truth within themselves. And what that does is if I don't face the truth within myself of what I have endured and survived and find the root cause of that, it just festers like an infection, like a virus. And then I'm bringing that infection, that virus into everything that I touch, everything that I produce, everything that I attain is thereby infected. So we have to really, it, it, and it is a mess. And people come to me for healing. They come to me for mentorship, for guidance. And I always tell them this, when I start opening up your subconscious and unconscious mind, we are going to be opening up everything that you have suppressed within. And you are going to have to face that with consciousness in order to heal this. Now, when I say that to people in theory, they go, okay, I think I can do that until they come into the depth of it. I call it shedding and purging. And I've often made the, the metaphor that like people think that, you know, healing and enlightenment is some like beautiful experience of love, peace and light. It's not. <laughs> it's, um, it can be deeply, deeply affecting within. It has you forced to face within. Why do I have these patterns? Why am I abusive? Why am I neglectful? Why am I emotionally cut off from being in full embracement of love in all ways? Why am I attracted to those around me in society 
family and friend that gravitate towards lower vibrational energies such as prejudice, racism, inequality, blatant hatred, and violence. Well, what? and, and, and Liz, I want to say the more subtle ones too, because I, I don't think that a lot of us recognize that when we're blaming, yeah. when we're, you know, gossiping, when mm-hmm. we are like those that seem like everyday normalties, like everybody does it. It's like, well, actually, no, right. No. Like there's actually yeah. a, no. a personal integrity that comes, I think, with doing our own healing work. Yes. Um, so, so I don't want to interrupt, but I, but okay. I also really want to like make this really, really real and tangible. So yeah. when we start with the, with the smaller at like personality attributes of, um, being manipulative, gossiping, you know, looking down upon others, right? Judgment um, of others. Right. Exactly. Blaming. It's right. When we start um, going through what, what I call the cycle of martyrdom, where everybody else is to blame, but I'm sheer perfection, or, you know, the, those type of attributes, those are the small, the small personalities that are coming out of us that then manifest into the larger, the larger qualities that I just spoke of. And it starts off small, like you'll see it, uh, particularly in children and young adults who have come out of these family situations where they were forced to be held in silence and forced to maintain the facade, Mm -hmm. where you see them, you know, they're growing into young adults who are incredibly judgmental of others. It can be something as innocuous as making fun of other people for any any number of reasons, gossiping, moving through those little, what we seem to be accepting of in society within ourselves is actually a projection of something unhealed within that individual. And then if it's left unhealed, it grows into these darker qualities, the larger, darker qualities. Yes. And what you're pointing to here is when we are projecting, what we're really doing is reflecting. We're, <laughs> it, it's a, it's more a reflection of where we're at in our own stuckness, in our own limitations, in our own. And the quicker we can really get curious. And these are what I want to kind of also illuminate here as we're talking are the, are the tools to liberation and freedom are the tools actually that seem so obvious, but I don't think that we put them into practice enough. And some of those tools are just first and foremost, the noticing. Yes. It's noticing like, Oh, look, I'm projecting. I'm blaming. I'm gossiping. Oh, I wonder what that's about. Yes. Um, yes. It's actually getting curious with ourselves and looking at ourselves with compassion. And you pointed to something so important, which is, the fact that we think this healing journey is all about love, peace, and light. But the fact of the matter is that, yes, we do actually lighten. We, As we heal, we lighten. But I think the point that you're making is that the beginning part of this journey is really the place where we find ourselves often on our knees, you know, yes. where we are, that we're willing to admit that we don't have the answers, that we feel so broken, that we are essentially in a mess. It's funny. I, my first marriage was 
you know, to a Southern man. And in, in his growing up, I loved some of the Southern terms. And mm-hmm. actually in the South, it's a compliment. Like I remember when my daughter was born, they would say, she's a mess, you know, and I, I love <laughs> the expression because, but at first I didn't know what it meant. So I was like, oh my God, like, why are they calling her a mess? She's beautiful. But what they meant was like, well, she's a mess. She's a beautiful mess, right? Yeah. Like she just yeah. was all over the place. Like she's a mess. And I, I was, I was thinking to myself, you know, because at that time in my life, I had not yet kind of really, I had done some preliminary work, but it wasn't, of course, until my divorce that I really, really entered into the mess. I felt like that was the point in my life where I was just, I had become so exhausted, so, just so unhappy. It, I literally had at that point in my life, a very, a very good understanding of how overwhelmed I was at continuing to hold up the facade. And, and I remember when I finally allowed everything to fall apart. And this is kind of this interesting behavior that I'm pointing to because I, again, I'm, I'm going to speak in generalities, but I believe it's true. And I'm going to assert that most women hold a, a perfect facade in place because it's what we've been taught to do. We've been taught to hold it all together. And honestly, it was literally like when I stopped agreeing, because there's an agreement that we don't realize it's not like, oh, I'm agreeing with my family out loud to hold this facade in place. It's a silent agreement. It's a yes. pact we make with ourselves and with often our family of origin. It's breaking tribal code, as my friend Libby would say, to stop holding up the facade. Yes. And it- when we break tribal code, what we are essentially doing is refusing to comply, confusing, refusing to lie, refusing to be that voice of everything is fine. Well, what we're essentially doing in that moment is we're saying, I will no longer carry this burden. Yes. I will no longer carry this burden and shoulder the weight of your disease within myself anymore. I'm freeing myself from the burdens that you have given to me and demanded that I carry. Yes. And and what I want to say about that moment is that is that moment that we enter into the beautiful mess, even though we can't see that it's beautiful yet. That is a pinnacle portal moment, I think, of like choosing the path that is now going to take us into a whole nother dimension. Not, not only am I using those words dimension as like, you know, a convenient language shift here, but what I'm really talking about is that 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 it literally starts to shift the energy the dimensional energy in which we have been holding ourselves back well and and speaking of the dimensional energy 
you know, the dimensional energy is something that we are within as we exist simultaneously in multiple dimensions, as we exist simultaneously within human form and divine being. We are existing within the collective energy of this dimension in this form, and we are simultaneously existing in another dimension. And what we do concurrently, energetically affects the other. If we are going to continually refuse to acknowledge our own individual mess and not come into healing about those root issues, those wounds that need to be healed, we are then going to start emitting these very low vibrational energies that translate into very low vibrational behavioral patterns. You are going to find yourself committing yourself to these lower dimensional energies. Because remember, what we are, we emit energetically. And what we emit, we attract energetically. So we actually do lower ourselves energetically, consciously, physically, through all means by not healing the root causes of the mess within. Right. Your vibe attracts your tribe. That's right. You know, this, these concepts were always things that I intellectually kind of got, but I had not yet experienced because I was still kind of stuck in these energetic patterns. Mm -hmm. I had not yet experienced the physical manifestation of those shifts until I really, really kind of went through that dark night of the soul, that utter breakdown of everything that I had known when I refused to kind of do it any longer. And at the time, from the outside looking in, it probably looked like a nervous breakdown. Honestly, yeah. we're talking like not pretty folks. Yes. And and I've admitted that, you know, like for me going to bed for eight months, like I've literally had people respond to me when I've said that, like, oh my God, I can't believe you're sharing that because I don't well, have, I well, I don't have shame around the fact that that's what it took. Yeah. But I think Again, to go back to the mess, when we go through experience, experiences of depression, of feeling overwhelmed, of feeling anxious, even if you look at one of the most common kind of collective symptoms that we're all exhibiting right now, anxiety being a huge one, there's a tremendous amount of shame that comes with that. And what I want to invite us all to really start to look at is that that these are normal mm-hmm. emotions that we have every right to experience and to be transparent about. And that yeah. just because we're anxious, it doesn't also mean that we can simultaneously also be brilliant because all of these emotions and experiences belong as part of the human and the divine experience. Exactly true. And we need to be coherent of that truth. You know, um, through my own healing, I came out of great periods of darkness 
within my family life, when I finally empowered myself to stand up against my abuser, against the abuse that I experienced within my family, through my father, through my mother, when I finally stood up in empowerment of that, it was not me standing up. It was me crawling on my hands and knees out of the mess. Yeah. I mean, it really, it really is and gets to be. And when I, when I crawled out of that mess, it wasn't in the full light of my own empowerment. To the contrary, it took me years, mm-hmm. years of trial and error, years of coming in and out of that healing, of that consciousness, uh, years of going through different types of therapeutic modalities, personal growth, years of shedding and purging everybody else's burdens and shame that I refuse to carry anymore. And when I finally came up out of that into my own empowerment, It was an incredible journey of self-realization, but it was, it was very trying at times. And, you know, the thing that, that caught me most off guard was how many people didn't want to speak to me about that, you know, during that experience of empowerment, of healing, of growth. Oh my gosh. They shame you because it makes them so uncomfortable because then they have to look at you. And they have to recognize within themselves some of those experiences, those qualities. And that is difficult for others who do not want to consciously heal. You know, and they just I'm, push yeah. you away in shame. And it, it's, it's so detrimental because during those times that, that both you and I experience as individuals, you know, there should be no shame in taking eight months to retire, <laughs> to heal. There should be no shame in having to capitulate and pivot and transform to heal in any way that you are capable of doing. There should be no shame placed upon us. No, but but I think what, one of the things that you're pointing to, again, is how isolating it can be when we when we are going and right, the eight months was really just the beginning of the cracking open. Yes, here we yes. are 11 years later, you know, and just like you, this is a very nonlinear path. It doesn't just, you know, when we think about the fact that for, okay, so I just turned 50. So, you know, if, if I were to look at the first 40 years of my life, it was about trying to kind of fit into this box and carry this facade and perfect this picture. And really the last 11 years of my life have been about unbecoming from that, but have been about, you know, asserting my right to, yes. to not have to hold the burdens and to not have to carry that wound and to and to give myself permission to break the patterns, to liberate myself, to look at things differently, to experience, to have my own experience of the world and to start claiming and reclaiming what is right and good and truthful for me personally. Exactly. So, 
So I love that you're also kind of pointing to how lonely that it can be when Mm -hmm. we're going through this process, because that is almost like insult to the injury itself, right? But there's a way that it really, that, 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 that experience, that isolation starts to also inform us about how taboo this still is in our society. And again, instead of, turning back toward ourselves and be and and adding to to that experience by with our own self-loathing actually so i want to back up here and i want to talk about self-loathing because one of the things that i talk about in my very very first episode of the revelation project and how the revelation project got started was it actually got started with understanding that at the very, very center of it all was self-loathing that, yes, that it was an unconscious self-loathing that there was a constant and continual voice in my head. And if you're listening and you're out there saying what voice, that's exactly the voice I'm talking about, right? That we all have inner voices And the inner voices and the chatter, you know, that kind of the monkey mind that people talk about is the very first thing that we want to start noticing because I've always said since I went through leadership training in my early 20s that I agree with this premise that we are always having a conversation with the world. We are always having a conversation. The trick of it is to be aware of what is the conversation that we are having. And there's an origin conversation that we're constantly having with ourselves. And until we notice that conversation, we are not going to get very far because the very, very first thing we have to understand is that there is a constant voice that is telling us something about ourselves that needs to be disrupted at the very heart of everything. And it's the voice that says, you won't be long if you say this. You won't right. be loved if you do this. Yes. You, it's the voice that when you drop your groceries because the milk has leaked in the paper bag that says, you stupid idiot, can't you yes. do anything right? Which is actually the real voice I discovered <laughs> after <laughs> I had gone to see a woman and he had looked at me and he had said, Monica, do you speak to your loved ones the same way that you speak to yourself? And I said to him, what are you talking? What? Yes. And I, I remember just looking at him like he was crazy because I didn't know what he was talking about. I really, I kind of knew I'm like, oh, he's insinuating. I speak poorly to myself, but I don't. <laughs> right. And, the, and it wasn't until basically a few days later that I was coming out of the grocery store and that that happened that blessedly. And I look at that again as divine choreography because it was so close to that moment that he had said those words to me because I don't think I would have noticed otherwise. And that is exactly what happened. The milk leaked in the bag and the bag, the bottom of the bag broke and it was right in the center of the parking lot and cars were coming and people were stopping and I had to pick up my groceries and the words that came out of my mouth, not my actual mouth, but my mind mouth to myself. Yeah. I thought, oh my God. We're terrible. And I couldn't make it stop. 
<laughs> and and that moment of realization and you know one of the things that that I had to come to realization with within myself and one of the things that I help others through is I say you know you have to give yourself the same amount of respect and love and support and compassion and compassion and forgiveness within yourself that you would any other person and we do not do that and it's systematic because of the way that we are raised to be shameful that we are raised to hide we are raised to deceive ourselves within so that we can keep this perfect facade going to make everybody else comfortable who are we really making comfortable by continuing to walk through our lives like literal zombies with with a facade going while we're dying on the inside because we're not coming into the consciousness of our own need to heal so we're we're just literally walking around this facade and and we're much more kind to abject strangers than we are to ourselves and that is something that is so corrosive and many of us end up developing what i call like the martyr syndrome where we are taught to keep this facade going to sacrifice ourselves over and over and over again to make others well to make others comfortable because we're taught that we are a burden and that we're supposed to sacrifice ourselves for some sort of greater good but it's a perversity of what that's supposed to be the actual way that it's divinely guided to be we're not supposed to sacrifice ourselves we're supposed to offer ourselves and the offering has to start from offering ourselves that love compassion support and forgiveness and healing how can we offer it to others truly if we don't even speak and treat ourselves with kindness well and that's part of that superficial because i was going to say yes there's so much truth to that and there's also this deeper level liz where you know i often look at the fact that we may offer kindness and forgiveness to others but we also kind of have a a lack of depth of relational skills really to ourselves. And when we do work on that, when we really do turn toward ourselves and start to notice these voices, start to look at ourselves with some curiosity and some compassion where we're not shooting on ourselves. Like I should be this, or I should be that it's, it's when so much of the Buddhist philosophy for me started to really, really make sense. This idea of Pema calls it the wisdom of no escape. It's that place where we're no longer trying to escape from looking at it, where we're actually able to start to notice, wow, I'm really hard on myself. And instead of yes. being hard on myself or being hard on myself, I start to soften and actually notice like, oh, there's this precious woman underneath this hardened voice that underneath all of this perfectionism is a genuine desire to serve, is a genuine desire to give, is a genuine desire to love. And oftentimes we layer on top of these genuine desires 
there's actually at the source of each of us is goodness, is is love. And what we've done is we've fractured, we've separated from this goodness that is within us, that is at the very heart of who we are. And it takes quite a bit of time. And when we talk about the illusion, when we talk about the illusions of kind of what it is to be a human being, what we're really talking about are these illusions, like perfection is an illusion. As is control. Control is an illusion. Yes. Fear is an illusion. Fear is what we perpetuate it to be. Fear is not an individual energy. Fear is what we to us. It doesn't. It's what we perpetuate it to become. One thing that that I loved about what you just said, and one thing that I'd like to speak to, is in our society particularly for women, and I'm not saying I'm not excluding men, but particularly for women, we are taught not to speak in terms of self-love and self-embracement. We are taught that we are unworthy. We are taught that we are only there to exist, to be sacrificed. When you stand up and you say, I am worthy because I am a divine being of love, of grace, of strength. You're saying, I am confident. I am strong. I am capable. I am love. I am light. I am joyful. And I'm going to utilize these attributes. And I'm going to look at myself as these things. Because I am becoming these things. But we tend to tear down individuals who stand with strength and speak of themselves in positive terms. We tend to embrace those who are self-deprecating to the point of being self-insulting and disrespecting of themselves, right? Instead of, of emulating and saying, no, I am worthy of unconditional love of myself, and I offer unconditional love of another. I am intelligent. I am capable. I am empowered. I am strong. When we stand up and we start speaking in those terms, we're often torn down and told, you're conceited. You're egotistical. Who were you to stand up and say that you are these things? They tear us down incrementally, trying to put us back into those tiny little places of darkness and shame that we were born out of. It's also reminded me of a conversation I had with Sage Polaris on the podcast, and she talked about patriarchy stress disorder and this idea of, again, we we're kind of assimilated in a culture that hands us the torches to burn ourselves out. Right. And, and these are all of the ways in which we are doing this and to all of our listeners, it's time to start noticing where we are putting out our hands to take the torch and Mm -hmm. to stop doing that, to stop actually 
being unconscious about the fact that we are burning ourselves at the stake now. Yes. Like it was this idea that they used to burn us at the stake for being outspoken, for declaring yes. our right to actually work with nature to, um, you. you know, if you really look at the origin, let's say of even kind of this whole movement of, of burning women at the stake and being witches, quote unquote, I won't go down this tangent for very long here, but my point is that these were women that were very connected to the earth and to all of the natural cycles of the earth and to all of the healing properties of the earth. And we couldn't have women that were sovereign (laughs) to themselves and were completely embodied in their own knowing of how to help others heal themselves when you also had people who wanted to control and take power religiously and otherwise in government. Mm -hmm. You know, you you couldn't have people that were out there, especially women who, and so we had to kill off these women. We had to burn them at the stake. We had to create, you know, a deep fear so that women would no longer practice sovereignty, personal sovereignty. I mean, there's a long history of this that goes all the way back. The point though, is really starting to recognize that we have to stop taking up the torch and burning ourselves. I mean, we're basically, they no longer have to do it. We do it to ourselves. Well, and, and systematically it's still happening, you know, systematically it's still happening literally and both figuratively throughout the world, there is still the stigmatization that a woman who stands empowered and a woman who is tethered into the energies of her own healing and into the healing of others, because that is powerful. When we as women ground ourselves into the natural and the nurturing environment of healing, We are healing of ourselves, which is setting us free and empowering ourselves from our abusers. And we are systematically then empowering others. Well, there are many in our society who will not tolerate that lightly because they need others to be unhealed. They need them to be controlled and they cannot be controlled if they are healed, conscious and empowered. And if we want to see this in action right now, the best example is Dr. Jill Biden in the White House and this whole thing about her not using doctor in front of her name written by a white male who is basically misogynistic. And again, it's just, it's so obvious to me now as I see it on display But there's a way that we, again, I can look out there at that gentleman and see it exhibited in the world. But what I need to really do is turn that finger back at myself and look and see where do I still hold unconscious internal misogyny? That's right. And And, and that is what creates these movements. It's the unhealed individual not recognizing their own internal prejudices, wounds, hatreds within themselves. What is the root cause of the wound of misogyny? 
What is the root cause of your need to control, coerce, and manipulate others? It all comes down into the root cause of the individual that then perpetuates and projects that behavior outward onto others to try to hide their own illness. Well, and then there again, your vibe attracts your tribe. And again, I'm going to say something really unpopular here, but you know, it is the revelation project and what gets revealed gets healed. And so, you know, I'm going to dare to say that there are groups out there, you know, some might call them cults. Some may call them counterculture movements. Some may call them conspiracy theories. The bottom line is that it's really interesting when you see certain, hmm, let's say, certain groups that are affiliated, let's say with light and love, but they're Mm -hmm. acting in completely the opposite manner. And that is so very true of what I deem the lower vibrational energies. Remember lower vibrational energies and those who exhibit those energies through their human form, through their human patterns These are individuals who are parasites. They cannot themselves create because in order to create, you have to come into consciousness and healing. Well, if you're an individual who has an unhealed nature within you, let's, um, let's look at a lot of the groups that are perpetuating themselves to be, you know, these groups of love, peace and light. And yet when you look underneath that facade, You see the disease, you see the prejudice, you see the racism, you see the manipulative, coercive nature of the hatred that lies within. So what I say is, and you have to, to and we tend to do this in society, we tend to blanket things and say, well, if you're aligned with this group, you must be all of these things. I always look within a group, a collective, and I find the individual energy. And I say, what is it about this group that that individual energy is attracted to? Because what you're going to find within that individual person's attraction to that group is something within their own physical, energetic, mental, emotional makeup that is unhealed. And yeah. comes back to the responsibility of the individual. Yeah. And, and I do want to, I also want to, you know, instead of like really circling Dallas here, like what comes up for me just to put more language around this is let, let me just take, for example, something like, I don't know, like a QAnon or something mm-hmm. that, that there's, and, and of course there are many, many, many different examples of this out there, mm-hmm. but it's not that I'm sitting here saying that there's not a 10% truth in the fact that we have a very, let's say we have created, let me say that a very, a distrust around our own government. There has not been a tremendous amount of transparency in certain, let's say, governmental sectors or even public and private sectors. Let's take the vaccination industry, for example. Yes. Like I am pro-transparency. Like a lot of people want to say, 
you know, that there are a a ton of people who are anti-vax, but actually what they are is pro-transparency. They want more information and they want transparent. They want the authentic truth. And that, that information is not being given freely. And so it creates a tremendous amount of distrust. And then you get a, an amount of distrust and suddenly you're collapsing all of these areas of like confusion and distrust together. And then you have all these people congregating in what now feels like a conflated conspiracy where all of these weird and completely non-intersecting things are now all lumped together. And it's just, and talk about crazy making. I feel like I'm back in a dysfunctional because I'm part of the collective. Like no matter what, we are all interconnected. And so I'm feeling like, oh my God, like there's my crazy uncle that's getting invited to Thanksgiving and misbehaving at the dinner table and nobody wants to say anything about it. And it's crazy making. Yes, it is. And you know, the, the thing is about, about groups like QAnon, about the, the groups of like the anti-vaxxers you know, within, within these groups, and, and there's many different groups aside from what we're speaking of. But what I, I always come into with these alignments of these collective energies, it, it all aligns to the individual. Let's say, and, and granted, the anti-vaccination groups have been largely maligned, but at its core, it literally started out with people just wanting more information about what these medicines were doing to their children and their bodies. And I want to say, I want to say their development. And I want to make sure that I'm really, really responsible for what I'm saying here, because I don't, I, it is not my intention to generalize and it's not my intention to create more disinformation or harm. But what I want to come back to is again, this personal sovereignty. We all have the right to do our own research, to understand what works for our own bodies and doesn't work for our own bodies. And what is our impact on the collective as well? That all of these things need to be looked at and considered, whether it's wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, getting a vaccination, not getting a vaccination, we all have to do our own individual discernment, our own individual research, our own individual connecting to what is, is true for us and really seeking our own answers for and, some of these things. And that is, that is the absolute truth. And that's what I teach people. You must, as an individual, find your own individual path. You know, yes, we are in a collective, but we are individuals. And as an individual, I personally make choices based on my own individual want and need, purpose, path. It all coalesces synergistically for me as an individual. Now, what I find very disturbing um, by many things that we see in society today, it's like if, if you have an opinion about one thing, somehow you're supposed to embrace all the things that that may, may bring into you. Like if you say, I'm anti-vaccination because I want more information about what I'm putting into my own body because I, as an individual, respect and uphold my own 
body, then you are suddenly lumped into this this like movement, this huge grouping that others are, are dumping all of their projections on. If you're anti-vaccination, somehow you're saying that you're harmful to the collective. If you're anti-vaccination, you know, you're extreme. You shun all medicines. You shun all healing. That is not the case. We need to make very careful, conscious choices about our own individual need, our own individual circumstance, and our own individual healing. But we need to do it with higher consciousness, mindfulness, and justice laden within. Because what we do as the individual does affect the collective. And I really think it comes back to something that I inherently believe. We cannot adhere ourselves to these falsified collections of ideas and projections that others are offering us. I'm an individual. I'm not part of a group. I'm an individual who is part of an energetic and conscious collective. There's a difference, a distinct difference. I think one of the things that I am also really encouraging all of us to really start to notice is where we do just that. There's Mm -hmm. because there are a tremendous amount of people who I am noticing in various circles that is a tendency that we tend to lump. Like if somebody supports Trump, then they must X, Y, and Z. Right. We make these assumptions that basically create more separation. And we've got to start to look at where we need to do that. That again, all of what we're doing when we do that is reflecting where within ourselves we need to get more curious and do some more healing work. Exactly. Like, um, for instance, and I've obviously in this country, this has been a very tender topic for lack of a better word. But, you know, when people have made choices politically, they are uh, thereby condemned for other choices. But let's say, I'll just use this as an example because we brought it up. Let's say somebody votes for Trump. And the reason that they're voting for Trump is because they want to maintain their financial wealth. Okay. So you you want to maintain your financial wealth. Are you willing to do that at the sacrifice of others' attributes? And what do you mean by that, Liz? For instance, this is somebody who does not support wealth equality. This is a candidate who supports wealth inequality. So if you are voting for this individual to protect your own individual financial wealth, and you are doing so at the expense of others' ability to attain wealth equality, you have to look within yourself to find the root cause of that pull, that draw into that energy. If you are are moving towards a group who is perpetuating cycles of prejudice, of chauvinism, of misogyny, of, of inequality, whether it's by wealth, 
race, gender, or sexual orientation, you have to look within yourself and say, why am I connecting to this energy? What is it that lies within me that needs to be sought after, looked in thoroughly, and healed? Why am I attracted to groups of violence? Why am I attracted to groups who are promoting wealth inequality within the societal structure? Why am I attracted to groups who are promoting the detriment, the just the flagrant, insulting, demeaning through vulgar terms of other people? It's the projection of our own unhealed nature that is drawing us into those energies. I also want to say that I've had a lot of friends who really get wrapped around the axle when it comes to kind of this idea of the law of attraction and this Mm -hmm. idea that they're attracting these quote unquote bad things to them. And there's a lot of, I think, what's the word confusion around what the law of attraction really is and isn't. But what I want to say when it comes to healing work is Again, the second it kind of passes into our membrane of noticing is the second we have to employ courage, compassion, and gentleness when we are looking at ourselves and we are speaking to ourselves because there's a way that we can often start to notice, oh, I guess, Liz, what I want to say, because what's coming up in my energetic kind of awareness in this moment is we're kind of toggling back and forth between this idea of personal sovereignty and our right to really kind of discern for ourselves. And at the same time, we're talking about our impact on the collective and kind of this law of attraction. And there's something that gets messy and muddled in Mm. the, in the middle to go back to this mess that I want to point to where we can often kind of start to blame ourselves for some of the situations that we find ourselves in. Does that yes. make sense? And it I, makes, wa- yes. I wondered if you could kind of shed some light on that. So the, the law of attraction, the way that it's presented seems so simple, right? What we are, we emit, what we emit, we attract. It sounds very simple. And it's based on an energetic principle that is reciprocal. Energy is reciprocal, magnetic. But, but before you go any further, if mm-hmm. but if I were to go out of my house today mm-hmm. and get into a car crash, I'm not going to turn to myself and blame myself that I attracted that to myself. No, 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 no. I don't mean in those terms, because if you go out of your house today and you get into a car accident, you you're also kind of being at the at the will of external energies. Um, and that goes into a different discussion of what free will is and how that's applied internally and externally. Okay. Not everything is based strictly on the law of attraction, but there is much of what we do through our energy, our behaviors, and our movements that that does directly coalesce into. And, and it's a very tricky thing for people to understand because 
we are individuals, but we are united in a collective energy. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we shed our individual need and right to the contrary. What it does is it means that we have to empower ourselves as individuals within the higher attributes of our being, of our consciousness and our patterns and behaviors, because we are consciously and energetically connected to the collective. So, for instance, if, if I'm saying I'm an individual, and I'll just use myself as an example, I strive every day to maintain my energy in a high vibrational way. I strive every day to be that of healing, that of consciousness, that of charity, that of generosity to myself. And in doing so, I emit that energy outward and those that are brought into my, into my life, into my path are of that same energy. Yet as an individual, I am not just attracting the individual. I'm also contributing into the collective. Think of it this way. We are a nucleus. We're the center. Picture a nucleus. Mm-hmm. Within the nucleus, outwardly comes the energy. That energy connects to other individual nucleus. And then it's radiated back and forth. Actually, also getting kind of an image of is remember when we were little and like you had a train and you had the ability to shift what track the train goes on as it's coming toward you. It's also for me, this conscious noticing what I'm intending and what is happening and, Mm -hmm. and being able to shift that as it's actually happening to continue to, to keep myself in alignment based on my intention. Yes, exactly. And intention is at its core manifestation. So if your intention is to truly treat yourself in all positivity, in all love, in all consciousness, and always beautiful, you are going to emit that energy outward, and that which is brought into you will be of that energy. Now, of course, you are going to be radiating that outward to others. Still, and then, you know, we can get into the discussion of external energies of free will and the influences of those attributes upon us. And I think where it gets messy, and and I have a lot of clients who have this conversation with me, and I'll just put it in simple terms, where they say, I'm doing my best, I am my best, I'm trying my best, but things still go wrong, why? And it's because we exist in a collective energy. And when you're connected to the collective energy, you're connected into disparative energies. Not every individual that you are going to come into connection and contact with is going to be in a state of healing, a state of consciousness, or is going to radiate out positive attributes. So that can be the disparative energy that can offset us. Well, and I think that's what keeps us in practice and that's what keeps us growing and that's what keeps us noticing. Okay. It's, it's again, it's not. I guess what I'm also really recognizing is that the mess is 
always going to be part of our lives. The more we can acknowledge it, the more we can embrace it, the more we can invite it, the more we can notice it with compassion and really others with the same compassion, their messy existence. It all gets to belong is what I continually kind of, kind of want to say here. And what I also want to do here is point out that we're in a collective mess right now. And there's an aspect to this mess that it can, it can continue to kind of deteriorate and it may need to. So there's also a certain amount of trust that comes with being with a mess that, mm-hmm. that there's a necessary part of it that has, that has to do with the breakdown of certain structures in yes. order for something new to kind of be reborn. But where mm-hmm. we all need to kind of start to take some personal accountability in this mess is to start noticing where am I blaming, avoiding, shoving things under the rug? Where do I need to bring more attention to kind of my own personal mess and do my own personal kind of falling apart work that needs to happen so that the collective mess can come back together you know, can, can kind of create kind of this death and rebirth kind of experience for what we want to envision and what we want to intend in a more healed state. And that yes. kind of really takes us each going within and doing our own personal mess work mm-hmm. in order to come back to the collective mess and hope that we're creating anything new together. And people need to understand that the mess is ongoing. <laughs> the, mess, yeah. the mess, the mess is a personal evolution. It's personal transformation. People always ask me, so how many, how long will it take until I'm fully healed? How long oh will God, it take until I'm fully enlightened? And I, I, with great graciousness, embrace them and laugh and say, when are you going to draw your last breath in this life? Oh my God. I know. I know. It's something we so want to have an arrival point, but you know, the truth of the matter is that it's just not that way. It's not that way. And it's, it's that way for me, you know, as an individual and, and keep in mind, the reason that I came in to become a healer was, wasn't just because I was divinely called into it. It was because of my own inherent need to stand within myself and face my own internal disaster that was lurking within me and to cry out for healing. And what I, what I came into consciousness of was nobody could, could bring that healing to me at any greater depth than I could within myself. I had to stand within myself and face myself. And I continue to do that every single day of my existence, every single day. And it's, it's so funny, something that you said before in the beginning of our conversation. And I always refer to myself as a beautiful mess. And, and I say that with great graciousness towards myself. And I don't use the word mess in a derogatory stance. I use it as saying, I am in an ongoing state of healing, transformation, and evolution. 
as an individual so that I can continue to offer myself into the collective of our society, to offer them that same healing, enlightenment, and transformation. Well, and there's that word, because honestly, when I look at the word enlightenment, it's to bring, to illuminate, to bring, mm-hmm. right, that levity, that lightness of being. And that lightening up we talk about is so funny to me. I'll never forget a day that I was meditating and I started to recognize that if I stopped holding on so tight, that I actually started, my body started to shake because it, I realized I was the one holding myself in that, in that density of, of like, almost like when, when people say lighten up, it really does yes. kind of mean lighten right? up. like, lighten <laughs> up. like yeah. allow yourself to, to really let go and trust and allow yes. for things to be the way that they are. And you immediately kind of have this revelation of like, yes. my God, my God, right? And, now, and I'm yes. saying my God, because it's our access to the divine that, that this messy Im- embodied existence is the way, is the path to our divine nature, that it's not out there. It's not, it's, we're not, we often will seek it outside of ourselves, but it's actually inside the mess that I want to offer. It that is. is where the divine lives. People. Yes, it is. That is because where the divine lives. Because we are all divine beings living within a human existence. People need to recognize that about themselves. People need to embrace that about themselves. And, you know, one of the things as, as a healer, as an energetic healer that I tell people, I cannot do this work for you alone. I can guide you. I can mentor you. I can teach you. I can give you the healing. But by God, you have to do the conscious work. You have to face within yourself that which we are bringing forth up and out of you and releasing. You have to do the conscious work for yourself. You cannot depend upon me or any other to do that for you in full. It's a synergistic alignment. I am a facilitator. I am a channel. I am a conduit of this healing. But you had better be prepared to dig deep within yourself and embrace that mess and let's start moving it forward and transforming it. But people in our in our society don't want to do that. They want somebody else to fix the mess for them. And you can't. It, it's, it's a completely opposing view that anybody can fix it for you in full. They can help you. They can guide you. They can give you the tools in which to yeah, do that. Ultimately, you're your own healer. You exactly. can. There's the conduit to the healing, but essentially at the end of the day, you're the one that has to do the true, gritty, messy inner work. And I've loved this conversation because it was messy and it is messy. This is a messy, strange, foreign, beautiful conversation, right? (laughs) Because again, I don't, I, I don't think we have all the language because it's something that I think as a collective too, we're, we're in it right now. And, and 
I mean, if there is ever such an incredible opportunity, it's now. And I think the more we can normalize this conversation and, and, you know, and start to bring language to it, the better. So I'm hoping, you know, that our listeners got some nuggets from it today. And with time, Liz, I know, and more discussion, there's so much more here to be revealed. So thank you. Thank you so much for just being willing to go with, go here with me today. You know, as usual, I've absolutely loved your insights and all you've brought to the table. Thank you. Oh, it, you know what? Thank you because you and I have these beautiful discussions that just organically flow from one subject, one meaning to the other. And the reason that that happens is so that we can bring forth all of these different aspects to people And they are going to find those nuggets within different individuals are going to align to different points of the conversation. And as you and I continue to have these conversations, these discussions, more and more people are going to come into alignment with those different topics, with those different energies. And the fact that you are allowing this platform to be brought forth is so very healing to the individuals who listen and then to the collective to which we all exist in. So thank you, because without your platform and your voice, there would be so many who would be sitting in the darkness and within their own ignorance. So thank you for honoring me and allowing me to come forward and speak. Oh, I love it. I love every minute of it. Thank you, Liz. And you for are- our listeners, more to be revealed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.